I'm Shanae Ogumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Fox creeping forward. He pulls up. 18-footer. Aaron Fox puts the Kings on top. Makes one, stakes twice. Kim Cavelli, 35-foot three for the win. Nemanja, Bialica. Yes, we deserve this win, man. When we're done, we can go chop it up, eat, golf, whatever you want to do. But 40, 48 minutes, I ain't about them games. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here as we always do. What's going on, Rich? How you doing, man? Doing really good. I am getting so excited. It is uh, spooky season and draft season all at once. Uh, we're within three weeks, less than three weeks from this draft. Wow. Yeah, definitely uh, approaching pretty quick here and... Glad to have the knowledge going into the draft this year. I think it's going to be it's going to be fun uh, sitting there on draft night and actually knowing most of these selections, even going into the later parts of the second round. And you know, some of the guys we're talking about today, I think, I, I guess, could maybe sneak into the first round for two of them. I don't see it as likely, um, but you know, early second rounders likely. And then we're going to touch on some that you know even could potentially go undrafted. So we got quite a range we're working with now, and we got five guys that. You classified as uh, small forwards, and you know maybe some of them play a little bit of another position. Um, but yeah, for the sake of breaking them down for different podcast episodes, I think we kind of labeled them as roughly three guards, right? Yeah, and I, I mean, I cheated. It we had we had twenty five guys that we wanted to cover, and I'm like, and I just noticed, you know, five of them are point guards, and then. It's going to break down a little bit. Uh, I think five of them are centers, five of them are point guards. That, like, that's pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Um, this, like, wing position, what even separates a two from a three from a four is getting more vague every day. And, yeah, like, if I, if we were going to be straight up with it, it was more like eight shooting guards and two small forwards, but we just kind of pushed some of the bigger – I pushed some of the bigger uh, shooting guards into the small forward spot. Yeah, no worries. Um Glad to be touching on these guys. And last episode was Jemias Ramsey, Emmanuel Quickly, Sam Merrill, Skylar Mays, and Nate Hinton. And this one, we have Cassius Stanley from Duke. I have Elijah Hughes from Syracuse. Jay Scrub, who plays at a community college. Najee Marshall from Xavier and Mason Jones from Arkansas. Um, Last time we went based on Brett's consensus board. Do you have that in front of you, possibly? So I don't, um, but I do have my own rankings, and I wonder if you just read them off in your own rankings. I may have unintentionally. (laughs) If you did, then we are in agreement. Okay. So why don't we just uh, do them in that order? All right. Cash Stanley from Duke, an absolute ridiculous athlete that you're talking about here. Um, you know, insane vertical that you're working with. Specifically, you're talking about a, a jumping athlete and 12.6 points his freshman year at Duke. He's an older freshman, 
uh, 12.6 points, 4.9 rebounds, 1.0 assists, and 0.7 steals and blocks, both of those individually. Um, per game, 47.4% from the field, 36% from three, and 73% from the free throw line for Cassius Stanley. Yeah, I mean, if this guy was running in pace in, in transition with a uh, De'Aaron Fox and what should be a high-paced Sacramento team, I mean, in transition, Stanley's a problem for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is by far the strongest trait of any strongest like single skill or, or differentiator of any of the five that we'll be talking about tonight. Um, absolute monster of an athlete in Cassius Stanley. I think the one downside of the physical profile is it's not much of a, a wingspan for Stanley. He's listed at 6'6", and while still unofficial, widely reported 6'7", wingspan. And you think, like, 6'6", guy, um, good frame, super athlete, this is going to be a small forward. But then you see the wingspan, and you have to wonder a little bit if if a 6'7", wingspan would work. But, again, not uh, official, so I'm not going to – beat him up too much for it. And then the other thing you mentioned that stood out to me just in uh, going through these basic numbers for him is the age. He is a freshman, was a freshman, or however you say that, you know, just leaving his freshman season at Duke, yet he is 21 already. Um, surprisingly, like, you know, surprisingly old, two years older than, basically two years older than like a Ramsey that we went over. Last time, going to be older than Jay Scrub, who we'll get to in a minute, who's played a couple of years of community college ball. So, yeah, um, I think, like, when you say freshman, 6'6", super athlete, you get really excited, and there's a few things to bring us back down to earth right away. Yeah, it definitely is. And he has a limited game to him, but the one other really positive, I thought, of his offensive game was his catch-and-shoot Um knockdown percentage, you know, uh, per synergy, catch and shoot. He was in the 93rd percentile, 43.8%, 65% adjusted field goal percentage there. Um, Yeah, I think as a spot-up guy, when you're talking knocking down three-point shots, he's going to do that well. It's when he's forced to put the ball on the floor or really do anything except catch and shoot where you get a little bit concerned with his offense. Yeah, I think self-creation is – kind of a zero for him. And I think creating for others is kind of a zero. Um, You know, we can't say like a 21-year-old, we don't, you know, we can't say he'll never be able to pass the ball well or create for himself, but I'm certainly not building that into my projection for him. Um, So he could be a bit of a problem in terms of ball movement there. Uh, So I think role player is is accurate to just slap that on him early on. Um, You know, you mentioned the catch and shoot. So if he can be kind of a three and D guy, there's a good theory for him. But yeah, if you're, if you're looking for more, I think it does limit the ceiling. Yeah. And I'll say that I thought that he did a good job of kind of just playing that role at Duke Uh, being one of the better guys. He was asked to do a little bit more, but Yeah, I mean, specifically in transition, like Trey Jones, I mean, Stanley seemed like a favorite of of Jones, understandably. 
uh, leaking out and, and constantly throwing down crazy lob or leak ahead passes there. And, yeah, I felt like he didn't do too much on the offensive end. There's times that, like you're saying, he put the ball on the floor and, you know, wasn't quite able to create for others. I thought that he had some tunnel vision at times and his poor handle uh, led him to struggle at times there. But I think that, excuse me, for the most part, he understood his role at Duke. And I would think that he's not going to play outside of himself when he gets to the NBA at the next level. No, I think you're right. Um, It makes sense. You know, he's he's not going to try to create uh, for himself when he hasn't been doing that earlier on. You know, you wouldn't start trying to create for yourself suddenly once you reach the NBA um, if it hasn't been a part of your game in the past. Uh, And I want to revisit the shooting question with you because you seem to kind of put it automatically in his strength category. And I know you were specific about catch and shoot, and I can get there with you, but his shooting overall, um, talking like, you know, off movement, off the dribble, and just looking at the volume and the percentage in college, are you are you just banking a good three-point shot considering, you know, 36% on three attempts per game? Neither of those is impressive. Right. Um, yeah, with, with the catch-and-shoot, I do feel good about it. Um, I don't think he's a great three-point shooter or anything, but I think that he's a good three-point shooter, and I think that he'll have some respect from the defense and because of that have a bit of a gravity, um, you know, enough that occasionally he'll be able to um, cut back door and, and be able to use that athleticism to finish at the rim at times. But, yeah, I, I don't think that he's going to be a great three-point shooter or anything, but I think that that percentage could go up a little bit there. I think that, you know, what, 37, 38% three-point shooter if he's really just shooting off the catch, which I kind of think is what's going to happen for the most part in the NBA. I mean, yeah, it's hard to, like, just predict the percentage because so much goes into the types of the shots. If he's only taking open catch-and-shoot threes, sure, 38% feels reasonable. But then – you know, a lot of players shoot worse than they shot in college with the line, uh, you know, it's a, a three-point line being a further distance and um, the defense, uh, you know, being a higher level. So, like, if we're talking about just open shots, I could definitely see it and with however much he improves. But I could also see it not working out. Like, I could also totally, totally envision him being, like, a 34% guy. Mm-hmm. Um uh, and I think that shooting is the swing skill for him. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And even with that being the swing skill, like I don't think you're talking too high of a floor for Stanley. Um, I guess like extreme uh, ceiling for him would be like an, a really improved handle, but that's kind of like some outlier improvement that you'd be talking about there. Um, because, yeah, I'm with you. I think that there is a chance where he's a little bit of a – subpar three-point shooter, but yeah, while you don't really enjoy him putting the ball on the floor, I think that with the athleticism he has, and he wasn't an amazing finisher, but due to just being in the air for so long, I think that he got some kind looks from just being up there longer than some of the opposing defenders, that if he has a respectable three-point shot, he can attack a closeout on occasion, like here and there. Yeah, 
I mean, yeah, I, he can attack a closeout because he's such a good athlete that if he gets a guy that's off balance or he just gets kind of space um, right. because of a wild closeout, then, yeah, I, I agree with you. But I don't think it would come from, like, he's attacking a closeout. Here comes this, uh, another defender rotating towards him. He's going to step back and shoot a jumper. Like, that is not the type of attack that he would be good at. The type of attack is you get one wild guy and he flies to the rim. Yeah, and probably uh, goes for a charge. <laughs> right. right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, I think the ceiling is an above average 3 and D guy. You know, we didn't talk about the defense too much, but I would probably kind of put it in that shooting area as, ter- as far as being a strength or weakness where it's a little above average. Um, and so I think he could he could turn out to be an above average three and D guy, not an elite three and D guy, but an above average three and D guy with a pretty elite set of um, you know athletic skills. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about his defense. Um, I'm with you that it's kind of a swing skill um, because the idea for Stanley is the three and D player. And he has, due to, with his athleticism, a good lateral quickness to him. I think he can stay in front of guys. And, and we saw that, I think, you know, guarding twos and I guess like maybe some threes. Uh, but I don't know, like at times he was a little out of control on his closeouts. And I just felt like he didn't have great rotations he was working with. And maybe just with some comfort in NBA training, that could get a little better. So he has tools he's working with on on defense, but I'm not super confident in how he's going to fare on that end of the floor. Yeah, I might be a little higher on his defense than you, but again, I think, you know, I was describing a ceiling there for him, so um, I don't think we're too far off. Where I had kind of a medium average outcome for him is just an average 3 and D guy, like average shooter, average defender, but still that super athleticism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting yeah. comp I saw um, from this YouTube video was Gerald Green, and I thought that that wasn't wasn't bad. Yeah, no, that's that's not bad. Um, I think Green, like towards the end of his career, became a really high level shooter, but he also got in that that rocket system that was just all they ever asked him to do was three and D, and so he got pretty good at it. That makes sense. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that means hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. And right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need. 
just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Try out Indeed with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. Do you want to move on to Elijah Hughes here? Just to discuss the floor real quick, I could see a world where the shot isn't real, the defense isn't real, um, the inability to to create for himself and create for others is serious enough that, you know, I, he's got an okay floor, but I could see a world where it's just kind of like, this guy is a great athlete, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, I could definitely see that being the case. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I don't, I don't think it, it's a great floor he's working with. Like it's, I don't know. It's not. It's not horrible. But then at the same time, for there being a subpar ceiling, like he's he's just kind of eh as a prospect. Like he'll have some highlights that he's working with, obviously with a crazy bounce. But overall, I mean, like having a three and D role player with this bounce would be something valuable. But uh, yeah, I'm with you. I could also see him kind of fizzing out, and I'm not, like, this isn't, like, a late first-rounder for me or anything like that. And even at 35, like, I don't feel great about Stanley for Sacramento. That's interesting. I think, so, I right wouldn't hate now, it. Yeah, he's in that range for me. Like, I, I think he's going to end up more like 37, 38 for me. But, yeah, like, mm-hmm. that, you don't hate that. Yeah, I because I see the especially you know if Sacramento's running in transition, like I think that that would bode really well for him. Um, but yeah, it's not like I would despise him on the roster. Like forty three, I'd probably be happy with Stanley. I just I don't know. I, I'd prefer someone with a little more upside, probably. Yeah, and then in terms of him being able to guard threes, uh, can he or can he not do that? And then does that affect? your feelings on him uh, for Sacramento specifically? Mm, I don't know. Like, he might almost have a better chance of guarding one since it's just, like, lateral quickness that I feel like he has. And I guess there's okay strength, but I don't know. I think he's primarily guarding twos, and then, like, you can get away with some minutes on ones or threes, I guess. Like, if you're rolling out bogey as a three in some lineups, I guess you could roll out Stanley. Um, but I think that the idea of Stanley on the Kings would be if you moved on from one of Buddy or Bogey and he's your backup too. Yeah, bouncy 3 and D shooting guard feels about right. I know it's the small forward episode, um, but, yeah, that's that's about where I'm at. Yeah, and then for Elijah Hughes, the forward from Syracuse, I have 6-6 and – Unofficial wingspan I saw was 6'9". Feel free to correct me if you saw anything else there. Um, 19 points. This is his junior season at Syracuse, which he did spend four years in college because what I see on basketball reference is there was a transfer year that he didn't play after a freshman year at East Carolina, and then junior and senior season were played at Syracuse. But that senior year stat line, 19.0 points, 4.9 rebounds, 3.4 assists, as well as 1.2 steals, 0.8 blocks, and 2.3 turnovers. 
on 42% from the field, 34% from three on seven attempts a game, and 81% from the free throw line. Um, Elijah Hughes was the guy on that Syracuse team. I feel like that's important to note for some of these percentages. Yeah, that is definitely important. Um, Kind of like a bucket getter type of guy. Uh, Although the question is, can his like bucket getting translate? Like, you know, if your best skill is, is just like ISO offense, creating shots and, and making tough shots. If you're not going to do that at an NBA level, then, you know, suddenly your biggest strength is, is not super important. And then how, how severely does that affect you as a prospect? Right, yeah, he's not a crazy athlete or anything where he's going to be able to blow by guys and then kind of use his athleticism in order to create space in that sort of way. But I thought that he had some, you know, like almost pro-looking hang dribbles and step backs that he was working with and good change of pace, even though that top pace isn't great that he's working with or anything. But, yeah, I mean, he's a, he's an ISO scorer really he had the third most isos in college basketball he makes a lot of tough shots and i think there is a lot of value in that um and i I don't want to say he's like a poor athlete or anything i think he's about average probably for what you're working with so yeah i mean i think being able to to get a shot and have this high release that he's working with and a smooth stroke i think that it'll like he he needs to be able to play off the ball as well. And I thought that he did that okay during what I saw at Syracuse, but that's going to need to be developed a little bit more for sure because I'm with you that, you know, he's not going to be regularly creating space for himself at the NBA level. Yeah, I have my doubts that his game can translate. Like you mentioned a lot of craft stuff, and we've kind of already seen it with these guys um, going back to last episode, the guys that are four-year collegiate players that develop a high IQ um, and a high level of craft and just kind of know how to beat other younger college players, it may not, you know, you're you can be dominant at that level. Like even like a Skyler, Skyler Mays, like right, he's killing it in college. But then it's like I'm not sure that any of this will actually matter in the NBA when you when you get to such a higher level league. I'm not sure that I like I'm trying to picture an NBA team using Elijah Hughes as an ISO scorer and I'm like, uh I don't think that really works. Yeah. Right. It'd be obviously in a bench capacity and what like are you talking like you know what, like Alec Burks sort of role, I guess. You know, Sacramento legend Alec Burks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's just not a useful level. Uh, I will say I thought that his his catch and shoot numbers and his, especially like off of movement, the way his shot looks and the way it goes down, that can be salvageable. So if you had to throw out the ISO stuff at the NBA level, there's enough scoring. I think, to work with off-ball. And while he's not a great athlete by any means, I think he is a pretty good vertical athlete. Not really a horizontal athlete, but he he has some shot-blocking upside. He, 
I think he can get off the ground and get up pretty high, pretty fast without much of a load. And, and that's, so, you know, that's exciting for me for a guy that I want to call a small forward. Um, and, you know, the 6'6", the 6'9", unofficial wingspan that can block some shots. You know, I don't think he's a good defender, but with that upside, do you think you can at least call him a three? I think that you can. You know, he's got some okay weight on him, too, at 215. He almost reminded me of, like, Gallinari at the college level in ways. Um, yeah, I think that he has some okay, like you're saying, length, size, and strength to him to put, to be a three in the NBA. And, and, yeah, the skills that he has in isolation, I think likely the way that they translate best for him is, you know, obviously being able to play off the ball and then just taking advantage of those situations when it's swung to you and you have one or two reads to make and, yeah, being able to take a little step back or pass fake and, and pull it or step in or even getting to the rim. I thought he did an okay job at times, was a little bit crafty there. So, yeah, I think that he can play a three in the NBA and, and probably also play a two. And you mentioned the defense, like Syracuse just sits in a two, three the whole time. And everything I read on him was just like, I have no clue what to make of him defensively because he just sat in a two, three the whole time. And it's just not a scheme that you're going to see very often in the NBA it wasn't like – I think that if he was some phenomenal defender, you would definitely still be able to notice it in that scheme. So I don't think that he's great there, but I think there's a chance he's a positive defender. It's just kind of been hard to tell. Right, and I think that does – that is a negative for him because he's going to be 23 – you know, he's going to turn 23 in his rookie year. And if you're teaching him NBA offense now – at 23, essentially, even if he's like, even if he has the capability to be good at it, that's a really he's really far behind. Um, coming from that zone system, like you mentioned, it's it's just I don't want to just call that like a neutral thing because it, like any sort of experience with an NBA type of defense or at least something closer to it would be would be a plus. And so at that point, like, and I, and I know I, I mentioned the shot blocking potential, but I do just have a feeling that he's going to be a poor defender, at least for a while. And that is also scary when you're talking about a guy that could be a small forward because there is such, such importance and such automatic value for a guy that can play the three. But if you can't defend the three – you're not a three, and I'm worried that that means he's not a three, at least for a, a good chunk of his career. Yeah, I truly don't know what to make of his defense because I think that it could go the way you're saying, and then I think he also could just be a slight positive on that end that can kind of hold his own against, you know, backup threes and, and you know, I guess occasional low-end starting threes in the NBA. But, yeah, like I, I really genuinely would not be surprised to see it go either way. And what do you make of the floor of Hughes? Yeah, I think it's pretty low. Um, he's an offense-first guy whose offense isn't really good enough to, to affect an NBA game. Uh, so that's problematic for me. Um, even if the defense is some uncovered thing where you put him 
in man defense all the time, and he's actually better than we thought, and he learns it quicker than we thought. It's still, I don't think it's enough to, like, win him a spot in the league. So, yeah, I mean, he's always going to be an offense-first guy. And I don't see his offense being good enough, or at least, like, if we're talking floor, I certainly don't see it being good enough. Um, so that's, I think that's like a, you know, a G League type of guy, honestly. Right. Yeah, and then I'll say my opinion on his ceiling is that, like, I actually think that he could be a little bit of a microwave scorer off the bench um, at, at times for teams. Again, I think that there's a world where he is able to excel in in bursts, in isolation offense, and show, like, some okay-ish flashes of playmaking. There were obviously turnovers that needed to be cleaned up too, but like a tertiary playmaker, I guess. I think that he could be a little bit of a a spark off the bench that, you know, occasionally really is able to help you go on some runs here and there. Um, Yeah, I think that that offense, there is a world in his ceiling that I think that translates pretty well for him. Yeah, I'm lower on uh, on him than you, just because I'm trying to think, like, how many bench small forwards that how many how many like not elite scorers run ISO like like we know the league is the only ISO that really happens in the NBA is elite guys so if if, if he's not an elite guy how much ISO could he possibly run well, I think it would be more of, you know, primarily he's playing off ball and then the ball uh, swings in his direction and he has somebody that just I, I think that he feels he like he could take advantage of. And I don't think, like, the plays go up there and, and just let Elijah Hughes go ISO. But I think that if it develops into that after swinging around a little bit, I think that he'll be able to, you know, try for five, seven seconds. Yeah, that's just not desirable to me. I- I mean, I, I get where you're coming from, but that's – especially if he's, like, a tertiary option on the on a bench unit, I don't know, man. Could that, he be, like, a Jordan Clarkson? Yeah, and that's not good. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. I don't think that's a good thing. Uh, I, and I think that trying – especially trying to picture him on a good team, I don't see that at all. Like, I could see him being – this, like, weird kind of uh, innings eater on a bad team, like, just a bench a bench unit that just has no scores on it on one of the worst teams. All right, like, this guy's got a little juice. Like, let's, you know, we're not going to win this game anyway. I let him get some shots up. But trying to imagine him on a playoff team, what's his role on a playoff team? Right. It's it's a rough situation there for sure. Um, he would need a lot of development in regards to being able to knock down shots off the ball and, and kind of find positions there. So, yeah, I'm with you. I'm not really sure. Like, yeah, it's probably more of like a even like Orlando, New York sort of thing or like you're saying they need this scoring punch and are kind of desperate there off the bench. Right. It would rely on a lot of development and is not a young guy, so – but yeah, he. I, I think there's there's a reason we talked about a number two. Um, it's not. I, I would say, for me personally, we did Stanley first, and I had a tear break there. So huge tear break. Okay, cool. 
Yeah, we're on the same page. And then we get to community college basketball. We got James. Here we go. Yeah, this was – I could not believe I was watching this earlier today. I was like, man, what is going on? Um, the numbers I have for Jay Scrub at John A. Logan College in his second season are 21.9 points. This is from the community college's website. Yeah, uh, I mean, don't even bother. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, like, case, yeah, it's so hard to find numbers on this guy. But athletically, like, he's this long – Bassini has him as 6'5 with a 6'10 wingspan. And he's this extremely – lengthy and slender guy that has a really nice athleticism to him and you would think he could get to the rim and be able to throw it down at times there and then also like a promising shooting shooting stroke but it's a super raw prospect playing against guys that listeners are probably playing against at the 24. Yeah um wait what did you say that listeners yeah, like you're probably playing against his level of competition at your 24-hour fitness. Oh, okay, your 24. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I mean, but dominant at the Y, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. truly dominant. He was absolutely just destroyed the competition at his level. Um, one problem with that. I think he became so dominant offensively that he just never tried on defense. Yeah. Um, never is, is extreme, but certainly didn't feel a need to try at, on any sort of consistent level. Um, and that's really problematic because you watch this tape and you're like, oh, no, he just got cooked by some community college kid that I've never heard of and we will never hear of. But it also is just, okay, well, he didn't try at all on that defensive possession. Um, So it's worrisome. It's very worrisome. He is, however, a fantastic athlete, a fantastic finisher, a really creative shot maker. I I love to see a lefto – sorry, a lefty iso scorer uh, just kind of create, pull up in the mid-range and – Drain a jumper, like there's something aesthetically beautiful about it, um, and that does excite me significantly. Yeah, it's it's exciting. Like he's so difficult to gauge. So, like you mentioned, the the defense kind of weighing, and then I also think that because he was like actually a superstar at his level of play, that there were also you know, some superstar shots that he was able to put up that were just straight-up bad decisions. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you got to, again, take into account that the role he was asked to play uh, due to the competition level that he's against, yeah, it's so hard to gauge this guy. Like, he's such an upside swing that you're going for here, and you're really betting on on the body and athleticism that he's working with. And like you said, I would say the main thing really is that finishing, and then there's also a jump shot that I think a team could talk themselves into, um, like an okay form. And on the site, it does say, and I totally just exit out of it here, 33% on 4.2 attempts. I don't, yeah, I mean, take these numbers for what you will, again, from their site. But, like, there's a shot that you could talk yourself into and mainly that finishing in the athleticism, right, with this length. Hell, yeah, I can talk myself into it. I have I've already done it. I've already talked myself into Jay Scrub. I'm such a big fan of Jay Scrub. 
I would love for the Kings to draft him and for him to play in the G League just about 15 minutes from my house. I would love it. I would go to every game and I would watch Jay Scrub develop in the G League. Um, yeah, man. Uh, this like You can't like really cap his ceiling necessarily. <laughs> you can't really. Like I think there are certain things. I don't think he's a good passer, really. Um, I don't think that he's ever going to be a good like high IQ defender at this point because we just you watch him not do that at the community college level and you can't say to yourself, well, but yeah, he'll do it in the NBA though. Um, right, but like <laughs> he's had such low level of coaching. Also, like the idea is that there is potentially a very big jump that this guy could take. Yeah. Totally just random question. What's like the the difference in the level of coaching between like the best community college coach in the world and like uh like a lower level G League coach? Oh G League? I wonder. I have no idea. Totally rhetorical question. Yeah, I would say, like, you know, like, if we're talking, like, actually best community college ghost, it's probably some guy that is totally deserving of a better job but just chose to be there for whatever random reason. So, sure, if Jay Scrub ended up with one of these, like, coaches that probably should be coached at a higher level, but, yeah, I don't know. Like, there's going to be there's gonna be new things to learn for him. And we don't even know who the Kings G League coach is going to be. We we hope and wish that it would be Ty Ellis. We love you, Ty Ellis. If you're listening, huge shouts out. Huge fans of Ty Ellis on this podcast. But, you know, with the whatever is happening with the Kings right now and how they're handling their G League, you know, we have no freaking clue what's going to happen there. So, anyway, to move on from that sort of the translation and the the different levels trying to understand because I don't we just don't know like that I under swing skills for him I just put everything like <laughs> there you know what I mean <laughs> like, yeah no I'm with you. <laughs> uh but yeah I mean there's okay so bankable things let's try to break this down a little let's refine this a little bit he's a great athlete um yeah, he's a really good good really good finisher really good shot maker um now like good tools also I'd say, but the fundamentals are in the negative category, the weaknesses for sure. The effort on defense is there for sure. The passing ball movement stuff for sure. I think he is too left-hand dominant. That's, you know, there's of the clips that you can find of him in community college, there's a lot of him when he should be finishing a righty, he's he's forcing it into finishing lefty. That's a concern as well. Uh, But, yeah, like everything else is in between. As far as ceiling, though, I really put – I gave this man a very high ceiling, higher than anyone that we did today and anyone we did last time. So wow. with all these all these shooting guards and small forwards, I have him as the highest ceiling here. And I don't even think it's, like, really that close as far as my specific ceiling. Okay. I had Jemias Ramsey a little close ceiling-wise. Um, That's fair. But I, I'm with you, and I think this is, like – exactly the type of guy that Sacramento needs to take a swing on. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to see it. I have, yeah, like, I have 
Cassius Stanley and Jemias Ramsey relatively close. Um, not super close, but I also just for a floor. So you know I do the number thing. Mm-hmm. Literal zero. Yeah. Um, so straight up zero. Uh, and that's I that's way lower than anyone else I gave. So even though I gave him the benefit of the doubt on the ceiling grade, I I took that away on the floor grade. Yeah, understandably, um, I'm definitely with you there. And I think that he was able to kind of just use that length and athleticism to kind of do whatever he wanted at the community college level. And he's going to need to obviously learn to be more reactionary to defenses and, and read how they're guarding him. There was some some clips of like even teammates and opposing guys he had that had ridiculous length or height to them but like it's obviously not NBA level athletes he's going against I think that once teams are actually able to slow him down that it's gonna kind of shock him a little bit um, because I don't think that that happened all too much at the next level or or you know he's gonna be a raw guy that is is traveling a bit too much or is constantly drawing charges or, um, I'm sorry, offensive fouls charges drawn against him. So, yeah, there's going to be a learning curve, but this is totally the guy Sacramento should take a swing on. And I think that, you know, Vassini has him ranked at, as I pull it up here, 48. Yeah, like, I mean, 43 for Sacramento. Yeah, uh, 43. Do it. I, I think that I thought it was going to be a super hot take to say he's in my top four and five, but that's not even far off from Vassini. Um, no, I'm I'm super excited. How do you just not talking about the translation from community college, but just the actual fact of him being a community college guy? How does that affect your perception of him? Um, so specifically, the fact that there's been a lot of NBA players that have gone to community college. But they always, I'm pretty sure, literally have always gone to a four-year first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think of, I think Jimmy Butler's the main one I can think of that ended up uh, transferring to Marquette after. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what to make of it. I guess I hadn't thought of like why would he not have jumped up to the next level? I mean, he had a pretty good freshman year that he was working with at this community college as well. But, yeah, I mean, like, I couldn't help but also think of Poku a bit at times where it's like, you know, these are both really low competition levels, but you just get enamored with the the tools and athleticism or, or yeah, I mean, the things that you could see eventually translating and going well for this guy. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely was just more focused on his individual tools and, yeah, kind of did my best to look past that low competition level. So I have a little bit of the background here. This is what I've this is what I've gathered by reading up on him. Okay. He had D1 offers coming out of high school and there were academic qualification issues. So that to to you is that is there a potential red flag there and then also, on the flip side of that, he had a D1 offer from Louisville to go there, 
next season instead of the NBA where he could have potentially built his draft stock at that level um, and has chosen to stay in the draft. And does that, you know, do, do those two things mean anything to you? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, the first part with him, the academics being the struggle, I don't think, sure, it's a little concerning, but I don't think it's a reason to have this major red flag or anything. You know, I think that some of these guys, basketball is their priority, and maybe they didn't put as much time in as, as he needed to or, or things like that. I, I don't think that when it comes to how he's going to be as a basketball player and obviously as a person as well, that that necessarily scares me away or anything like that. And then in regards to an offer from Louisville, it almost, like, I almost want to say that could speak to, like, his confidence because, like, more likely than not, right, you would think that he's going to go to Louisville and be able to show out and probably be a first-rounder next year. But, you know, could you take him going into the draft directly as, like, him – being skeptical of, like, what if I go to Louisville and just kind of shit the bed? Yeah, and this is all speculation. For, on the first question, your response I completely agree with. Like, I don't see it as a red flag that he had academic qualification issues. I I don't want to get off in the weeds here, but your grades, if that was even the specific thing that was the issue, um, I don't think they matter. Like, I think, like, I don't know. This isn't a comment on, like, American education system, but it kind of is. Like, I don't care about that, I guess. Yeah, what's Anthony Edwards' GPA, you know? Right, right. I mean, there and there are certain I, – I don't know what his situation was like, but I, I think, like, it's easier for certain people in certain situations to do well academically where – and some of that stuff can be fudged depending on, like, whatever, you know, whatever environment you're coming from in high school, like, you know, we all know we've seen people get an easy A on, you know, you take the right classes and you have the right people around you. It's like that stuff doesn't matter to me. Um, And then on the back side of that question about Louisville, that also I don't think matters to me because from the speculation is if it weren't for COVID, he may have gone for that. But, like, you know what I mean? So it's kind of a mixed bag in both directions, but I just thought I'd give that context at least. Yeah, and I also can't blame him. Like, if you hear, you know, you're probably going to be drafted at the NBA, why not go? Yeah, I mean, it's, I feel like it was kind of a G League or Louisville choice, and maybe he, maybe he gets a real NBA contract, um, but I would guess more likely to get a two-way. I don't know. Right, which would probably be good for him and be able to go against some actual – you know, NBA-level athletes in, in that sort of tier. I mean, even just jumping to the D-League D would be a good size uh, next step up for him that I think would do a lot for developing his game and just giving whatever team drafts him a better idea of what they're really working with. And also, what does one col- one year of college get you, really? Like, it, in terms of the academics of it, like, do I want to go to this school for a single year and not graduate? I, right. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, are you all right? We move on to Najee Marshall here. Yeah, I just gotta say I love Jay Scrub. Yeah, I don't blame you. I'm with you there. Najee Marshall, a junior at Xavier last year, six seven, two hundred and twenty pounds. 
I have a seven-foot wingspan for him and a little bit of a defensive prospect with that wingspan. But 16.8 points, 6.3 rebounds, 4.0 assists, 1.3 steals, 3.4 turnovers on 44.5% from the field, 28.6% from three on five attempts a game, and 71% from the free throw line. We started offense for most of these guys. If you're cool with it, I say we start defense for Najee, and, and that wingspan is probably what gives him some optimism and upside there. I thought he did a pretty good job of staying in front of guys with like an okay lateral quickness, um, but he's definitely, you know, the Nate Hinton of this episode kind of defensive focus, in my opinion. Yeah, the Nate Hinton of this episode is super spot on. <laughs> uh, I really liked his defense and the fact that the defense can be applied to threes, like, this is a three. Like, Najee Marshall, this is a small forward. Um, you know, we don't have to get into the, the weeds of the debate here. Six, seven, seven-foot wingspan confirmed, 220. Boy, just that alone, like, just that alone helps his stocks so much, right? Like, I've told you I, I snuck Tyler Bay into my first round basically just on the size and like thinking of the scarcity of position compared to a bunch of backup point guards or backup centers, you know, it just, it means yep. so much to me. It's right out the box. Yeah, I'm totally with you. And I don't think that he's like necessarily all over the place either. I thought that he was surprisingly pretty smooth. Um, yeah. I kind of touched on a bit of the defensive end. I thought that, I, I would have liked him to be more dominant on that end. I think he did an okay job of, of getting in passing lanes and things like that. And, and again, his on-ball defense was good. I thought that off-ball could use a little bit of work, but obviously has the tools he's working with there. And, and the offensive end is, I mean, like, he, again, I thought that he was surprisingly smooth. He was running pick and rolls for Xavier all the time, which I don't think he's doing at the NBA level, but he got an okay playmaking ability and you know when it's swung to him I think that he's able to not amazingly because the dribble needs needs work for sure but put the ball on the floor and and get to the rim and if teams rotate like just be able to make maybe just you know one of the right passes yeah the handle and the playmaking and and driving to the to the rim I think he's a good finisher once he gets there but the general creation package for him I think he's a little bit of an illusion. Um, I don't think that he did it at a very high level. Like, he did it. You know what I mean? Which yeah. is, is good, as a lot of guys don't do it. But I don't think he did it well enough for me to have any confidence for him to do it at the NBA level. However, like, he did it, so I'm going to put it in, like, the swing skills. Like, the playmaking package... Uh, the creation for himself and others package, like that's the swing stuff for me. Um, and the weaknesses, I, I think, I think it's pretty clear that his weakness is shooting slash kind of preparing for shots, um, <laughs> right? Like he's yep. not an off-ball offense guy. Yeah, he's not, and. You know, I think that that playmaking that I seem to be a little bit higher on than you could really be, 
nullified a little bit if he doesn't have like a somewhat respectable three-point shot because the only time I feel like he's able to set up for other people is when he's going downhill. And again, I thought he was a little smooth with some Euros and you touched on it. I thought he was a pretty good finisher. But if teams aren't needing to close out on him at all, which, you know, like 20, uh, 28% not good, don't get me wrong, but five attempts and he was taking ones that I don't think he's going to be taking at the NBA level. Like I don't think he's taking anything off the dribble in the NBA or anything like that. So, yeah, I mean, like, maybe he could go a little higher, but more likely than not, I mean, Najee's probably a negative three-point shooter, and I think that really hurts the rest of his uh, limited, already limited offensive game. It really hurts. If he was – if that were 35%, I mean, like, we, it wouldn't be crazy to have first-round conversations. Right. But, like, it, this is, you know, a 3-and-D, 6-7 guy. You could have those first-round conversations, but there's it's just a D. There's no 3. And, and like, I, you know, I mean, that could technically come around. Like, we talk about it with everyone these days – you could say, hey, potentially he could develop a shot. But it, there's no reason to really believe it at this point that he'd be good at it. Like you said, you think he's probably a negative shooter. So, yeah, no, it, and it sucks because that's just the only thing he's really missing to be a pretty pretty complete and exciting prospect. And the other knock on him, uh, you know, I'm fixated with it, is age. He's one of the older players in the draft, born January 98, you know, older than Hughes, um, older than you know, the oldest guy that we've done in this episode and almost as old as Skylar Mays and definitely not as old as Sam Merrill, but uh, still, still pretty old. Yeah, definitely is. And Again, you'd be you'd be buying on him for that defensive upside and just trying to become a passable offensive player because I don't know, even the defense while he has the tools, I definitely didn't make him up as some lockdown guy off the ball or thought that he was really special in regards to getting in passing lanes or reading rotations properly or anything like that. So I think a lot of it really is the tools and and I, I do kind of want to double down. Like, I, I thought that he was actually a really freaking good finisher, 69.1% around the basket in on post-ups from Synergy, you know, better than Onyeka Okongwu uh, when, when you're talking in that area. So uh, I will, you know, kind of double down. I think he's really good in that. But in the NBA, is he going to be able to get to the rim in the first place? Yeah. I am not so sure. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I That's just what I was going to ask you is how much does finishing matter as it, you know, in, in of its, in, in and of itself? Um, because like you just said, how often does he get to the rim if that's his biggest strength on offense? And I think we can use this as a way to transition into Mason Jones, our final guy who is an incredible finisher. Um, 75.6% at the rim for Mason Jones. Ooh. Insane, but I like it's kind of if it's if it's a standalone thing. Anyway, let's all right. Let's get it right into it. Mason Jones of Arkansas, uh, six five, 
unconfirmed wingspan. I think he's probably a little bit more of a two than a three. But uh, the finishing just jumps right off of the page, as well as the foul drawing. I mean, I forget what it is. I don't have it up in front of me, but is it like it took like nine nine point one a game on eighty two percent. So not only is he absolutely crushing you when he gets to the rim, but you know if you stop him, I, I mean, go ahead and stop him. Like he's he's just doing so much. Um, when he moves to the rim, he moves well. Try to stop him if you want to. You better stop him, quite frankly. But you know, if you do, he's going to take ten free throws a game. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball and Basketball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champion, we'll go six-time NBA champion, Robert Ory. See what they had to say and what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Yeah, that's insane. I actually didn't realize the level of finisher that he was. I thought that, you know, a lot of his game that I saw was pulling up off the dribble and creating some space for him himself uh, as a sophomore at Arkansas. But even then, like, yeah, he had nice dribble moves, you know, good good step backs or um, hang dribbles and, and things like that change of pace that he was working with, even though he's not the best athlete himself and, and crossovers and things like that. But yeah, I mean, on the offensive end, like I couldn't help but think like almost a worse Elijah Hughes, like. Yes. It's craft. It's ISO. It's like that senior, it's that four year guy who is like living off IQ um, to create for himself. And it's, it's just it, – it's the same problem where if you're a really dominant ISO player in college but you're you're not going to be dominant in the NBA, then you shouldn't be in ISO really at all. Right, and it's, and it's funny because, you know, he's the leading guy in Arkansas on points, rebounds, assists, yet Isaiah Joe very likely get drafted higher than him because he's playing a role that is – more similar to what he likely would end up playing at the NBA level, similarly to what you're saying here. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely interesting. I think of all skills, like ISO and and uh, offensive post play, because they're so uncommon now in the modern NBA, it's like there's no point. You have to be great or it doesn't matter. Yeah, and I don't think Mason Jones is that level. I, I think that he did show moments of being able to function off of the ball and, you know, kind of just running in. 
I guess, the flow of the offense. But, again, like the flow of the offense kind of mainly ran through him. So it's a little bit of a difficult situation. But, you know, hit big-time shots for what was a really good team. And I think that he is a good three-point shooter. I, I think that when he doesn't have the sort of defensive pressure on him that he's going to be able to knock down threes at a decent rate. You know, the free throw rate's a good indicator. Like you said, nine in a moment game and knocking down 82% super promising and yeah even six threes a game on 35 percent and and these are some difficult shots he's taking like I think he's a good three-point shooter I don't think he's great or anything like that but I, yeah I mean I think that he'll be a I think that he has potential to be an off-ball player at the NBA level as well it's just there's gonna be a, some getting used to with that I didn't really love the shot there's something funky about the form, and I'm going to leave it to people that are, are longer-term draft prospect evaluators to figure out what that is exactly, but it looks funky to me, and I saw a bunch of people mention it, just like concerns about this this form. It looked uh, – the only thing that I can say that I personally noticed is that it felt a little bit inconsistent. Um, and and it's, it's one of those things that can be – um, covered up by it just dropping. So if it's going down, you know, it's hard to care that much. But when I see a lot of people mentioning it and something just smells a little funny with it, I'll throw that out there. But the only real downside that I saw to him, um, you know, other than athleticism, other than um, the age, the things that are kind of right there in front of you, there were, I think, a lot of defensive issues. He doesn't feel like a super sound defender. Some decision-making on that end and just kind of giving up, I don't know. It just felt like a lot of easy buckets. Yeah, I think that he leaked out in transition a little bit, and part of me questions how much of that could be due to being the number one guy on on offense for that Arkansas team, but... I don't feel good projecting him going forward defensively. I probably like Elijah Hughes a little bit better than Ayers since I think that he has a bit of a better athleticism that he's working with. But, yeah, I mean, it's definitely not the defense that you're bringing Jones in for. I think that more than likely he's a negative on that end, and he's a a two probably that I don't even know is going to be quick enough to stay in front of two guards in the NBA. Right, and his his floor is pretty bad. If he's not an NBA caliber athlete and not a plus defender, uh, yeah, like what is he? Like, yeah, what, right. What These is are he? the type of guys that just like ball out in the G League for years after year after year. Yeah, I had him. I mean, I had him fifth on this list for a reason, and I have him kind of in that Skyler Mays. I would call him, you know, you called uh, Marshall like the Hinton of this episode. Mm-hmm. I would call Jones the Maze of this episode. Okay. I probably like Jones a little better uh, just because he's a bit younger, right? Actually, I don't have the ages in front of me, but I, I know Jones was a sophomore at Arkansas. He is younger. Um, he's not that much younger, though. I mean, it's, let's see here. Nine months. Wow. Younger, ten, ten months younger. He's an old sophomore. Yeah. Yeah, 98. 
Um, so yeah, it's I think that part of it's a bit of an illusion. I had him higher than Mays, so like when I finally graded them all out, I did have him higher than Mays, but only one spot higher on my on my board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when we're talking, I I think we kind of touched on Ramsey and Scrub, right? I think they're. Or I guess I'll ask you, like, which do you like better for Sacramento? Say at, at 35, you had to be selecting one of Jemias Ramsey or Jay Scrub. So I feel like they're kind of comparable. That's interesting. Um, I definitely went Ramsey. Uh, I would definitely, like, uh, on my board, I went Ramsey higher than Scrub. I would double down on that specifically for Sacramento. Um I think that Ramsey is younger and obviously showed more at a, at a higher level. Um, so I think, you know, part of that is a bit of a floor play, but Ramsey's no slouch either in terms of his ceiling. So yeah, I would say, I would say give me Ramsey. Mm-hmm. And then I want to ask you, I feel like the two other comparable guys come uh, with last episode are Emmanuel quickly and Cassius Stanley, you know, two guys that were role players, at, at Duke and then Kentucky, I flip-flop between the two because, you know, quickly I, I personally like his defense better than Stanley's, but obviously you have the athleticism that you're working there with Cassius. I probably lean Emmanuel quickly because I think both of them project as likely 3 and D guys, and I just feel more confident in quickly doing that. Uh, what do you think between the two of them? I have Stanley higher. I have Stanley as the best prospect of all 10 guys we've done here of, of all like these wing guys so wow okay yeah I I ended up just to kind of give my combined rankings between this and the last episode because they're kind of the same position I went Stanley one Ramsey two quickly three okay okay yeah I went Ramsey one quickly two Stanley three um I do have the whole thing here and then I have uh, Jay Scrub, four. I have Sam Merrill, five. Elijah Hughes, six. Najee Marshall, seven. Nate Hinton, eight. Mason Whoa. Jones, nine. Skyler Mays, ten. So we didn't do them today in your order. Um, Where did I get thrown off here? You have Scrub above Hughes. I Oh, I'm sorry. I said that backwards. Switch so, those two. Let me simplify this. Um, Cassius Stanley is my one. Uh, you have him three behind Ramsey and quickly, right? Yes. But that's both of our consensus top three. So let's just focus on those three for a second. Um, I think it's nice that we've got a tier here, Stanley, Ramsey, quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have to like really debate it, I don't think, too much. But I, for me, I'll just say the reason I put Stanley one – is the theory makes sense. Like, I think he can be a super bouncy 3 and D guy, and it just that just clicks, that works. It's valuable if it works. Ramsey yeah. is, is a bit more raw, and I don't think he has the defensive upside personally. And then quickly, I, like, but they're very the, – these three are close together for me. Quickly, I'm worried about the size and the frame a little bit too much. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think that, you know, Ramsey, I have one. I think that he just clearly has the highest upside out of this group. And I think that his floor is still like an okay shot maker. And I think I buy the defense a little bit more than you since I think he's got some nice length to him. And then 
Quickly and Stanley, again, I think are super interchangeable between my two and three there, both three and D guys. And um, I think that, yeah, I mean, on any given day, I could kind of flip between the two, but currently have Quickly two because they project as three and D prospects, and I buy the defensive Quickly while I'm a little skeptical of Stanley's at times. Then our next tier, I had – this is really like a tight, tight tier. Like I – like truly could could even flip flop I guess but for me this tier is the the middle four of this ten I went Hughes Scrub Marshall Hinton okay so I'm with you but I'm putting Sam Merrill in the group uh, for myself okay. I have I have Hughes um, and then I have Scrub and then Merrill. I have an arrow between the two of them. I was totally flip-flopping back and forth uh, between which one was ahead of the other here. And, yeah, it's just going to vary team to team if you're, you know, looking for a project swing or the safer guy, obviously. And then I have Najee Marshall, who I put higher than Hinton because of the the tools he's working with with that seven-foot wingspan, really. Um, And, you know, Hinton, I think has a more projectable three-point shot that he's working with. and But, yeah, the the frame gave Marshall the edge there for me. Yeah, we're pretty aligned. And then my bottom three, I know you're going to have Merrill higher, but my bottom three in order, Mason Jones, Skyler Mays, Sam Merrill at the very bottom. You have Merrill below Mays? Mm-hmm. Okay, That's yeah, like, I think we talked about We went this. over this. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah, but we're not too far off. We're not too far off. And if you're talking Sacramento, um, yeah, I mean, what, so 35, like I think we've mentioned, we've mentioned Ramsey. And then once you once you get to 43, like, are you, how do you feel if a Elijah Hughes is taken, a guy that we see as more of, you know, a, I mean, obviously one of these older prospects with probably a higher, or sorry, a lower floor I'm sorry, I'm messing up all this wording. A lower ceiling than someone like a Jay Scrub. You're asking me for Sacramento. You say you said Scrub versus who? Uh, like Elijah Hughes. Yeah, that's very tough. I have them, you know, 42, 43. Um, and in my numerical grading system, I have them one point apart. So and you gotta go the upside for Sacramento now. For Sacramento, yes. Give me yeah. Joe Scrub. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I think that that's pretty much it. I'm kind of a coin flip between Marshall Hinton. Um yeah, do you have anything else on, on these guys here? Yeah, I yeah, I guess the coin flip is is about right, Marshall Hinton. I th- I think uh Something is, like, worrying me about Hinton. The fact that he's – the size is not great yeah. just scares me a little bit. Where I'd almost bet – I'd almost rather have the upside of Marshall potentially coming around as a shooter because Hinton can't come around to being 6'7 with a 6'10 wingspan or 7-foot wingspan. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And I think that when you're talking about these guys – Obviously, age does matter, but when you're talking mid-second round, late-second round, more likely than not, a lot of these guys just aren't even going to work out in the league. So, 
while age does play a factor, um, it's obviously more valuable to have the older guy that actually gives you any NBA minutes compared to the younger guy that just never sees the floor. Yeah, and just to harp on age, because I've been doing it a lot, uh, out of this group, Ramsey is the youngest by a significant margin, you know, more than five years younger than Sam Merrill. <laughs> more than five years oh, younger wow. than Sam Merrill. And, <laughs> and then the second youngest is Jay Scrub. So I think there's a reason that we're kind of drawn to Ramsey and Scrub, mm-hmm. um, the oldest obviously being Sam Merrill. And then, you know, like, no one can get close to him, obviously, but Mays is very old as well. Like, he's he's a year and four months younger than Sam Merrill, which means he's very Oh, my God. Yeah. So what you're saying is you're the Sam Merrill of this podcast. I'm the Jemias Ramsey. Yeah. Um, that one's going on. That's true. We both went to community college, though. <laughs> So True. We're, we're both the J-Scrub. We're both a little J-Scrub, yeah. I, I would <laughs> gladly pick a seven-foot wings for sure, sure. You know, just to wrap up the end of the podcast here, you know what I did um, while I was researching J-Scrub earlier? Hmm. I just threw on some community. Oh, it's a, wow. It's a great show. It just brought me back to those days. I've been to a lot of community colleges. Um, and Same here. Uh, it brought me back to those days. There's some good uh, City College San Francisco days. Um, something about that show, it, like, it gets that nostalgia going for me of uh, those City College days and and watching uh, Jay Scrub tape. So it was a very enjoyable afternoon. I'm super late, but I'm actually on my first watch through of Community right now. I think I'm only on, like, season two. I'm on season two. I'm on my, like, 50th to watch through. It's so okay. good. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm definitely enjoying it. I think it's a good time. Um, yeah. It, uh, I, I was definitely sitting on my couch just laughing on occasion that I was sit- sitting here watching Community College on, on my Friday. I think it's great. I love it. I love it. Travis and Jay Scrub. Oh, yeah. There we go. We're going to swill it into existence. Screw Malachi Salano on Jay Scrub. Yeah. Um, okay. We'll we'll end it there. I, we'll compare these guys to other guys later. But I I have a here. I'll I'll send us out on a really hot take. All right. Um, Jay Scrub over Devin uh, Devon Dotson. Oh, I don't know. Okay. All right. I hmm. I see it. I see it. Excellent. All right. Well, if you enjoyed this, there definitely will be additional draft content. And you could even respond to this podcast's post at the King's Herald, kingsherald.com. Let us know who you want to hear next. I think we have a little bit of a list of guys, but could fit some more in if there's anybody that you happen to be interested in uh, or, you know, your local community college players. Apparently that's what we're going with here. But definitely check out the great work that's done on that website. Big things come in there and go support the Patreon uh, to support independent Kings coverage there. If you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Pulse podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review, and you'll hear from us again in the next couple of days here.